Welcome to Mixed Company, bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Woo! See, no, we're at, see, no. When we're at church, you know, you can say, hi, everyone. Welcome. Hi, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I just want to thank you for coming to this event. I'm Karina Schultz. I am a board member at Viva Women of Color at Publicist Group, as well as one of the co-hosts of Mixed Company Podcast. Woo! We hope tonight's going to be an awesome discussion. Take notes, take pictures. Um, if you have any questions, please submit them to through the Ask Mixed Company hashtag on Twitter. I'm going to hand the mic to Merlene. Hi, everyone. Hello. My name is Merlene LaRoche. I'm the New York co-lead for Viva Women of Color. And thank you so much for coming out this evening. Look at this. is beautiful. Um, <laughs> we are so proud to be hosting this event with Mixed Company. Um, and before we, I pass the mic over to Simeon to get the conversation started, I just wanted to leave you with a thought. And the thought is more so of like why we're here and why this kind of conversation is necessary. There are unique dynamics in politics that African American and women of color must navigate in the corporate workplace, from, frustrational, from frustrating generational differences to misunderstanding between well-intentioned well allies. Um, the way black women encounter and confront these situations are unique in comparison to their peers. So keep that in mind as we go through these panel discussions. That's what we're going to address today. Thank you so much. Welcome and enjoy. Hello everyone, uh, my name is Simeon Coker. I am a creative director, I'm also one of the co-hosts on the Mixed Company podcast. Um, I'm going to kick off this first panel, which is making the dream work. Uh, before I get started, I just wanna bring up our panelists. So the first one is Nick Colucci, who is the COO of Publicist Communications North America. Uh, our second panelist is Renetta McCann, who is the Chief Inclusion Experiences Officer for Publicist Group. And our third panelist is James Talarico, who is the Managing Director, Executive Creative Director at Heartbeat. So before we get started, I just want to give some, some background into what we'll be talking about on this panel. Um, and when we did the last uh, event, uh, one of the things that we really wanted to do was start a dialogue with um, what I like to call the gatekeepers, because right now, uh, white men are they dominate leadership positions, especially in advertising. So we wanted to have a really transparent conversation on how they could be stakeholders in helping women, black women especially, accelerate their careers within the industry. Um, and now with diversity and inclusion being a topic that people are definitely talking about more and more, we wanted to start this conversation and have a really, an end with steps that people, men in leadership can take to help women accelerate their careers, but also um, ways that black women can take uh, or tips that black women can take back into the workplace to help manage up, to, to ensure that their careers uh, reach leadership. So the first question I'm going to start with, or the first person I'm gonna start with is Renetta. Um, and the question is, did you have mentors who were women throughout your career? Okay, so I've been at this for a while. I'll just put it that way. So very early in my career, or the earliest parts of my career, I didn't. 
um, because I'm of the generation where we were supposed to prove that women um, could be in the workplace, right? That women could hold these jobs, that women could move into management. Um, so the, for my early career, the people I had to watch actually were men. Um, and I found that instructive. In fact, over the first 30 years of my career, I had about eight bosses, and all of them were white men. So that's who I learned from. And actually, there's a lot to learn, right? It wasn't until I got into management that I met senior women, so the CEOs of the New York Times or the Hearst Publishing Company, and they now were my companions in this adventure of being female leaders. Um, but the literal answer is no. I, I sort of grew up without them. So were there key differences between the way that, I guess, the women mentored you and the way that the men mentored you um, earlier in your career? I think so. And I think part of it had to do, it's, and just so you guys know, it's hard for me to um, distinguish between what happened because of my gender and what happened to my race because of the time I was there. So it was one or the other. Um, but I think what the men at that time did is they, they focused on what I like to call excellence in craft. This is how you get really good at the job. And you could figure that out. You could watch what they did. You could look what meetings they held. You could watch how they did presentations, how they managed data, how they came up with ideas. Um, I grew up in media, so how they negotiated, it was very, very instructive. And I think the women mentors I ended up with later in my career were almost more of what I'd call the finesse game, right? So um, from the men, I sort of learned the rough and tumble part, and there's no, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be stereotypical there, but that's just how they played. And with the women, it was the finesse of being at the top of an organization and what that meant and what else you needed to know in order to be able to stay there. I'm going to pivot a little bit to James, um, and just on the topic of men mentoring women, uh, recently in LeanIn, recently according to LeanIn.org, the number of men that feel uncomfortable with mentoring women has tripled. How do you think this will affect the careers of black women aspiring to leadership levels? First of all, can I just say, say it. man, that's fucking shameful. It, right. it's, <laughs> it, it's so shameful. Like, I, I heard that stat before. Mm -hmm. We had talked a little bit prior, and I, I, I can't believe the level of fear um, that it that is ingrained in the men that might respond that way, and the lack of courage. So I, I want to apologize <laughs> for that. It, it feels it feels so disheartening. Um, and secondly, you know, when we're looking to be mentored, when I was looking to be mentored, um, I, I would say. I, I didn't really have a female mentor, but I was looking for men who were both strong and vulnerable. And I think that second aspect is crucial um, when it comes to engaging the workforce generally, but also a more and more diverse workforce. Um, the idea that everything I know to this point is the single and final guiding light that I have to make decisions, and now all of this new information is gonna change. And so how I behaved may no longer be appropriate. 
I think that's like, I think that level of evolution is, is powerful and, and beautiful. Um, I don't want to behave the way I always did. I want to become a better and better person. And, and I wish for all of us, uh, and particularly men in power, to, to take that attitude, to show vulnerability, to show a willingness for growth through sometimes difficult but constructive dialogues. And to shy from that, it does a disservice, not just to the population in this room and women of color, women generally who have aspirations to the C-suite, but to all of us, like, and particularly in a creative industry like this. The idea that we don't have more diverse perspectives, and coming out of creative particularly as a craft, um, the juxtaposition of diverse elements is where creative energy comes from. So if you're leaving 50, 55, 60% of that potential input on the table, it doubles down on, on my original point. That's fucking shameful. Um, so like, when we engage one another, for the women in the room, for even for me as a, particularly for me, as a leader in a creative organization, I think we have to start with a level of vulnerability. Um, and, and an idea that uh, the perspective that is, you know, sitting next to me, sitting across the table from me, and I as a white man, um, need to be able to place genuinely and respectfully on the table where, where I'm coming from. Um, and then the other thing that really, that, that stat got me thinking about was this idea of generosity. Um, because I think beneath that hesitancy is a, a, a suspicion that there is no generosity in the culture. Um, and I think that is a, a sad misrepresentation of what's happening with the Me Too movement and with our ability to call one another out when we are saying things that might be either consciously or unconsciously offensive or inappropriate. If I am being generous to you as you critique me, if I'm being generous to the room as they hear um, my words and give me feedback, then I'm gonna give the benefit of the doubt to the person on the other side of the table, and that will enable that growth. So when I looked at that, like just walking in, it, it was it's an incredibly discouraging stat. So follow-up question for the women in the room who aren't as lucky to work with men like you, what, <laughs> what are tips that you feel like they could bring to the table or, um, implement in the workplace that can, I guess, help the men that they work with evolve into the same space that you're in? Because you said that you, this has been an evolution for you, so what do you, what do you feel like were those key moments that helped you to sort of progress your thinking to the next level? I think a couple of things could be really, really helpful. Um, one is kind of setting the parameters of a dialogue. What is the nature of the relationship? Um, how can the mentor and the mentee help one another? Um, what is it that the mentor is looking for from the relationship? Um, I can so only speak firsthand. You know, I've had a couple of experiences where, where I've been lucky enough to be the mentor. And my ambition was not only for my mentee, but also for myself to be learning. So I think you're going to be looking for men, individuals, who are open to their own growth and to growing together with you, and to, who are open to having a dialogue about the dialogue. And <laughs> at the risk of sounding all like, goofy. Um, it is kind of a meta thing, like being self-aware in the relationship and what the terms of that relationship are, I think is essential, particularly the further one's experiences from the others. Like we are going to say things to one another that will be difficult to hear and process and knowingly or unknowingly, and we are going to trust one another in order to do that. So a lot of it is like filtering who it is that you're dialoguing with. And, I think the choice of who your mentor is is just as important as the mentoring relationship.
Uh, you mentioned filter, which is a great point because uh, my next question was for Nick, um, which is black women aim to bring more of themselves to the workplace. How can we encourage mentors and mentees to be more of themselves in the workplace? Um, and that kind of raises the question of what should you bring into the office as a person of color, as a black woman, um, and what should you leave out? Um, and you who are in the C-suite, like what do you feel, how do you feel like uh, mentors and mentees should? That's a hell of a tough question <laughs> for me to answer. But that's why we're here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that question. Um, so, so maybe this is a, a way to start in a more familiar way and taking something from, from what Renetta said. Um, you know, I was told early, early on in my career by somebody who was really quite a terrific mentor for me. Um, he, he said, to, he, a white man, said to me, you know, the first two or three steps of your career are always about competence, the skill, the craft. The last several are, are declininglyly so because we figure now it's just, you've got the competence, it's a ticket to the dance, right, so to speak. Now it's about how people feel around you. How comfortable do you make those people feel around you? It was aimed very specifically at me because anyone that's been around me very much knows that even after all these years, I can make people really uncomfortable around me. And how so? it's been, I'm a pain in the ass. Got it. <laughs> I could be intense. I can be a little too emotional. I can get in your face before I know I'm in your face. Um, and then I realize now that I'm getting in your face, so I kind of back off. But back then, I, you know, when I was 20-something or 30-something, I definitely didn't get it. And he was trying to tell me that and trying to say, you know, it's not only about how good you are now. It's, it's about how do you make people feel. And as I think about when I look into this audience and I think about all of you, and I, I have through my career now with, in our own organization and, and, and my own understood my own biases and you know that, that are inherent in just who we are as human beings and how we grow up and then the more insidious unconscious biasness that we all kind of live with um, that we in many cases just don't know about until you by the way take these training courses or do these things that kind of shake you and go oh my goodness um, I, I can see, you know, the, the difficulty, the problem that, that we face because by nature, you're, you're going to be different than these white men and you're going to make them uncomfortable almost immediately, right? I guess that's the honest of it all. And so, um, so what do we do? <laughs> so what do we do, right? I, I guess what we do is... Um, you know, organizations have to spend more time um, talking about this, talking about it openly, because it's not easy, it's difficult. This is difficult for me, but not being here, but like confronting this and talking about it, being open, holding people accountable for attending and being around meetings like this and, at, and, and attending training sessions like that, frankly. Um, and then, for all of you, um, 
maybe this might not be so popular to say. It's got more to do with the times. Bring your whole self to work. I'm not sure what the hell that means, but <laughs> I've never really brought my whole self to work. It's hard to bring your whole self to work. I mean, I'm a crazy son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm a CEO. I'm not supposed to do some of the nutty things that I, that I do just by nature, right? So I think we should start out right from the very beginning about what it really means to bring your whole self to work. Now, that being said, you, we need to create a work environment, a place where people feel safe to be who they are and what they are and not need to apologize under any circumstances for that. Um, all the way around, all the way around, because we all have biases, conscious and unconscious. <laughs> so there's that. We definitely need that. And I, I'm, I'm kind of proud. I think it's, it's, it's popular these days to shit on publicists every now and you know, for what we do and don't do. But I actually think we do... To a, to a large degree, we're, we're pretty good at that, or at least we're really trying. At least we're trying. Um, so I, I would say that yeah, let's talk about you know, more, think about more of what it's like to what do you bring to work. And, um, and I, I think it's important that you spend as much time as you can with people that are different than you probing and asking those questions about what's okay and what's not. I have a couple of mentors in this room that a few you don't know. You know, a couple you do, but a few you don't know. Because I've spent the time wanting to make sure that the more I spend time with people different than me, the more I'm going to not only be better at my job, but I'm going to better understand how to create that right environment. But in the process, I'm doing the same thing for those mentees I actually joke and say that I'm the mentee. They're, they're the mentor, even though they're much younger than me. I mean, I, I've never been in a mentor-mentee relationship where I haven't gotten as much as I have being the mentor, quote-unquote, mainly because I'm old and in these spots now, so I'm supposed to be the mentor. But, you know, I, I have to tell you I learn more. And maybe the last comment I'll make about this it's true of all of us. Try not to tell yourself stories, fiction, that might not really exist about others. Right. This person won't really want to talk to me because he's like a big shot, or he's this, or I've seen him angry one day in a room. He must be an angry man. You know, whatever it is. Try not to tell yourself those stories. Try to push your way through those things and, and open up to ask, to be, to determine. Take a risk that way. I think you'll find that um, it's not sometimes what you think or the story that you've told yourself. I find that true of me all the time, all the time. Um, little things that I was telling myself a story about that when I got brave enough to kind of probe through it, I found out that it was a totally untrue story. So I want to actually, I'm going to agree with Nick uh -oh. on, and I'm going to continue the whole self sort of 
contrarian dialogue. So I think I understand what it means, and we can get a wine later, and I can tell you. What I, what I will tell you all is be careful because there's a trap there. And the trap is that you make too firm of a determination of how you have to be at every single moment of the day. And what I will tell you is the best, every single true leader I've ever worked with, and the best leaders I've seen have this thing called situational awareness, where they are who they need to be in that moment. And if you come in and say, my whole self is one, two, three, four, five, and you're in a moment that needs you to be a 22, you are not serving yourself. So know who you are, know who you are at every moment, and in the workplace, have strategies where you can leverage, stretch, shift, move yourself into the spot you need to be in in order to get done what you need to get done. Because ultimately, your value is going to be measured by what you get done. And you've got to be able to operate in a way that lets you do that. I think that requires an incredible level of self-awareness as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we, I, t I completely agree that being who you need to be in the moment, but it also, also being able to experience how you're feeling in that moment in order to call upon that skill set in order to call upon those qualities. And if you're building those relationships in the room and you can understand or have gathered um, the sensitivity to read the room and see how the feedback is, you can modify yourself in that place. But it can't happen without, without knowing yourself first. And so that idea of like bringing yourself, bringing your best self, modifying yourself to that situation. And sometimes <laughs> self-aware, being self-aware, means you have to acknowledge that you are struggling with and I think that that does require a level of humility that is hard to come by. Was that something that you were taught or something that you kind of took it upon yourself to say that you needed to improve? Oh man, therapy, therapy. <laughs> years and years of therapy. Sure, you know, ab absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, you find your way, like we, uh, both of the, of, of, of the panelists have talked about craft skills, but certainly like, you make your way to a certain level of success by sheer force of will, right? Talent, discipline, you apply to this thing, right? And then comes the nuance, right? And the nuance is gonna touch on all of these things that you don't have to touch on if you're writing a line of copy or if you're, if you're, if you're managing a product, project timeline. It touches on emotional things that are old, that have been sitting there unexamined, and whether, whether you believe in therapy or not, if, if you didn't get it, I do. Um, uh, that self-examination, uh, I, I think, is the only way to get to a place wh where, where you evolve and you're able to draw upon it. So, so it was absolutely something learned. It was absolutely something that I worked very, very hard to keep in my conscious mind and that I fail at every day. It, it's a learning process. I mean, you're, you're doing this your whole life, and you shouldn't feel that, that that's not the case. You know, all of us are starting out kind of, many of us with a, a, a clean slate. Many of the leaders I know weren't, weren't I, I've, I've often said this whole thing about being a born leader is just nonsense. 
it, it's, it's something that, that you do. There are certain characteristics, obviously, that some people might, because of how they've grown up or um, you know, who, what they might have innately, make them you know, right for the, you know, have some of those right characteristics, it's easier for them. But most of this, most of this is, is learned behavior because you're, you're watching and you're witnessing and you're, you're spending as much time as you can learning and networking to the best of your ability to, and, and then being aware of how, it, how you impact others and how others impact you. So before, just one tiny little thing, which is, ooh, and I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna let the secret out of the bag, which is, to some degree, depending on what your background is, actually black girls have an advantage in this. So I grew up in a time where in school, in work, I was the only one, right? And when you're the only one, you develop spectacular superpowers about how to navigate being the only one. You figure things out easier, faster, the whole thing. So sometimes being the only one is a burden. Sometimes it is the ticket to where you want to go. And you all just have to remember in each moment whether it's helping you or not. But if it's helping you, use it. So we're going we're gonna to start wrapping up, um, but I have a question for everyone on the panel, um, and this is going to be the last question. How can people in leadership help to support the growth of black women who aspire to corporate, to corporate, corporate leadership positions? Um, and also, I kind of want to, I guess, have a piggyback question off of that, which is, I guess, your answer. I also want it to be something that the people in the audience can take back into their workplace to use to hold their managers and their leaders accountable. So from each of you, at least one or two things that leaders can do to support black women. <laughs> you want me to start? So what, what, can, what can we do? Yes, and also, I, and I guess that answer also would be, that's a way that the people in the audience can hold their, their bosses accountable for their growth. Because I think it's, you know, it is a two-way street. You know, it's, they can't promote themselves. It has to be something that is, it's a relationship that's built. So what's, what would be that key tip that they can take back to the workplace? Well, the, the first thing I'd say is I really don't think I'm that unique in, in liking to spend time with others as a mentor talking about myself. Think about that for a moment. I mean... Most of us in these jobs are egomaniacs. We love to talk about ourselves, right? So I would say, I'm kind of joking, but only kind of. Um, I think that there are a lot of people that would find great compliment when someone comes up to them and says, you know, can, can you talk to me for a bit? So be careful. Don't say, would you be my mentor? Because that conjures up these things in people's minds like, oh my God, what's this mean? Every other day they're gonna be in my office, they're gonna ask me, you know, I don't wanna, you don't, I mean, people in those bigger jobs, they don't have time for that really, no matter what. But if you, 
if you if you come in and say, look, I'd just like to talk to you about something. Uh, you know, I saw you in a meeting and I heard something that you said and I'd like to spend some time asking you something about it and you do it. And then maybe, and you feel the chemistry, right? Because there has to be chemistry when these things happen. Sometimes you won't, but you do. And then a couple of months later or a month later you go, you call them up again and you do it again. And before you know it, you're on a routine and you're doing it. And I've never really believed in formal mentoring programs, but I do believe they can work and I do believe they're okay. So if you have them, I think it could be fine. I like more of a grassroots endemic kind of thing that what leaders can do is speak like this openly about it, encourage people to do it, talk about it at, at management meetings with their management staff about what they expect and, 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 and ask questions throughout the organization as to whether it's happening. But I would say that's the first thing that comes to my mind. I don't know if I gave you that much. Okay, so as a leader, what I'll say to each and every one of you is you can do it. And the it is whatever you define. You, you can do it. So if that's the case, then my second suggestion to you is that you spend time thinking about, and I'll pick a number, four things that you really need in order to propel yourself to the next whatever it is. And then if you can find one person who has those four things, we'll go to them and try to convince them, and I'm using that word broadly. You might have to cajole, you might have to, you might have to use some tricks, right? But go to that person and convince them. Or you can go find four different people who can do that. But what you want to do is sort of scout out what you need and then find somebody who does that well. Because usually people who do it well are willing to teach it because they like teaching what they do well. So you just have to match yourself up with them. So you can do it, identify what you need, and then go find the people who can help you get that. I love that last point, and that, that would be my biggest suggestion, is do not put all your eggs in one basket. Like, find as many relationships as you can. To the question that you asked earlier, like, about maybe all men don't have a, a level of vulnerability, but I guarantee that leaders in your organizations have different skill sets, and you can learn more from more. And it goes back to the point about, like, we're here talking about diversity. Find diversity in your mentors. Find different types of men and women that you're di dialoguing with and be overt. Like, say that you're ambitious. Say where you want to go. Nothing, like, sure, we like talking about ourselves, but we're, if you're a good leader, you're damn proud of the people that you're mentoring, that you're working with, and that you're growing. I want every single person in my agency to succeed incredibly, whether they stay in my agency or they leave. And the same thing goes with the people I have individual relationships with, and trust that. One more thing. If you don't mind me saying this, um, you know, I, I was struck by a recent conversation I had with someone who, who came to talk to me as a, a mentor, helping them prepare or just bouncing some stuff off, job interviewing and doing whatever for a, a position. And I was, you know, part of how I helped this person was to say things like, 
did you call so-and-so to put in a good word for you? You worked with this person for a long time, and, and they went, no. I, I, you know, I'm, I can do this. I'm not making a big deal. You know, I want to put my best self forward. I don't, it was almost like I don't need the help. And it wasn't that. But you kind of get it. it that's silly. <laughs> You, you use all these resources that you have. There are so many people that have interacted with you in, in the work that we're in today. Very seldom are people in jobs where they're just doing one thing and nobody's around them interacting. You leverage those, those relationships wherever they are to the point of what both said, um, James and Renetta said. And, and many times they will help round out. As I pointed out to this person, remember that she, you're interviewing for a position and people are trying to figure out whether you're right for it. You know, you can count on a two-hour interview, twice maybe, and that's when it's really good. Or you can help that person find out more about you by having two or three or four people call on your behalf to talk about what their experience was with you. And that helps fill in the blanks too. A secret? Okay. I don't. I don't know if it's a secret. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'd like to thank all of you for being on this panel. Uh, we're going to jump to the next panel with Karina. Uh,